Hello, hello. Welcome along to Racing Debate. Myself and Mr Matt Chapman with you for I'm the here. next hour. Um, what should we talk about? Um, Has well, been happening? you know what? I cannot wait for the first classic trials. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. Just around the Lincoln, corner now. Lincoln next weekend. Yeah, just around the corner. Dubai World Cup. Love it. Uh, before we talk about any of that, uh, the small matter of the last few days at Cheltenham. Here's what's coming up. Top owners. The Cheveley Park stud colours, those famous colours, top owners at the Cheltenham Festival, Gold Cup winners, winners as well. Richard Thompson uh, will join us to chat about the Cheveley Park triumphs of the week. We'll also be joined by another top owner from the week, Constitution Hill. Well, he was visually stunning, wasn't he, in his uh, couple of runs before the Supreme, uh, but he really walked the walk on Tuesday. We'll talk to Michael Buckley, the man whose colours he wore to victory. And we'll also talk about what we can learn from the four days in terms of the five days and what was good and what was bad about the week and the experience in racing. Uh, Matt Chapman was there for the duration. I was, like many of you, watching from a distance, so I had a different experience of it. I felt safer with that, Boise. What, knowing that I was watching from a distance? Well, just a distance. I didn't really <laughs> mind if you were watching or not, but just I like to just have you at arm's length. Uh, you're not really scared of me. Not really. It's a couple of times recently <laughs> I did, did wonder whether you were going to absolutely lose it. And I was thinking, <laughs> this is where those adverts for the insurance claim really come in. I could be rich soon. No, it's um, that's 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 not the case. I I enjoyed I, like obviously we've had a couple of different sort of Cheltenham festival years, and I, I I more often than not will be there for the duration. But it's quite nice to take a time out and to watch from a distance. You you get a different perspective on things. So hopefully we'll have there were, there were two or three moments because I'm very lucky that yeah. as one of the the members on on the ITV team there, um, I'm allowed to stand outside the front. So most of the team never see a race live. At Cheltenham, which is pretty unbelievable for a TV crew. If you're working on the TV, yeah, yeah. you're in the yeah. parade ring. You never or, see yeah. a race. Yeah. I'm very lucky that in my position there, I do see all the races. And there were two or three moments of atmosphere that I will never forget. The When Delta Work hit the front ahead of Tiger Roll. Yes. The booing from the crowd. And it wasn't done in a nasty way. They weren't booing Delta Work. They were kind of booing the whole story. Yeah. And that, that was... That was, it was fun. It wasn't mean, it wasn't nasty, it was fun. That was amazing. The Gallop and Deschamps um, was just, I've never seen a crowd change because, because he jumped the fence brilliantly, yeah. the crowd had decided he'd won. Yeah. But then because he knuckled, and, and I have a video, which, which, which I'm not allowed to put up actually because you're not allowed to take videos of, of, of action if you're working there. Yeah. But I have this video of the crowd where everyone's going like this and then the same people three Ooh. seconds later like <laughs> and, it, and you could do a, an analysis of, of, of people's behaviour when they watch things just on that one video. It's extraordinary. So those two moments, um, Shishkin, the, the champion chase, huge letdown. Like there was hardly even a cheer for an ergamine and there must have been a load of people who backed him. There was in my house. Yeah, but on course, nothing. That's why I like you at a distance, Percy. But there were these little moments that were just extraordinary. Flooring Porter... Danny Mullins, absolutely brilliant. And, of course, Rachel Blackmore the headline. in those famous red, blue and white colours that have had so many classic winners on the flat taking centre stage at Cheltenham. A Gold Cup winner. Not just a Gold Cup winner, but ran away from the field at the sprinted. end of the Gold Cup. Sprinted up the hill, uh, did a Plutard. Uh, and in those famous colours of Cheveley Park Stud and from Cheveley Park Stud. Richard Thompson joins us uh, live right now. Here he is, uh, Richard. Right, Richard, we enjoyed it. How was it for you, uh, Rachel and Aplutard storming up that hill after what happened last year? Um, morning, morning, Matt. Morning, Sean. Yeah, I mean, that was just an incredible experience. Um, 
you know, it's hard to put into words. Uh, you know, you, you think about winning the Gold Cup for years and years. You watch all the great Gold Cups over the years, and suddenly you're in, you're in with a shout of winning it. Um, absolutely astonishing. Uh, hard to, as I said, hard to, hard to reconcile. You, you, you mentioned our thinking about winning a Gold Cup for years and years and years, but Richard, we've been seeing these colours over jumps only, only for relatively a short time. So how long has this been in the planning or in the, in, in the dreaming of a Gold Cup and how did it come about you wanting to do this? Well, you've got to go back to the mid-80s, the mid really, where my father um, stepped into the market occasionally to buy the odd National Hunt horse. And in 1986, we had a horse called Classified who finished third in the Grand National. Since then, he bought, uh, you know... Uh, various jumpers, but only one or two from time to time. But, of course, in 1992, he bought Party Politics two days before the National for my mother's birthday uh, birthday present, and it obviously won 30 years ago. <laughs> so there's always been this sort of dream to win uh, the sort of the big jump races. And, of course, over the years, my dad and I would watch the Gold Cup together, watch Cheltenham together, and always talk about potentially trying to win the Gold Cup. So that's been going back probably since, I would have thought, Desert Orchid days, um, so 30-odd years, party politics days, you know, 1982. So although we'd never actually made a concerted effort to do it, in, 19, in 2018, um, he decided, and obviously, you know, with me and then Chris Richardson and the team at the stud, um, to sort of buy a bunch of younger horses, of which Aputar was one of the very first, uh, but along with Alaho and Envoy Allen. So um, 2018 was the time that effectively the project was put into place in terms of, yes, let's buy some young horses and let's see if we can win the Gold Cup. It sounds quite simple when you, when you put it like that, but just the, the, that, that group of horses that you just touched on there, that first sort of batch, it's incredible. How, how did you find them? What was... What, what expertise were you drawing on to, to, to target those horses? Look, uh, to be frank, I mean, obviously, we, we've been in racing a long time, so we sort of understand the way it works. But in terms of the jump side of things, we, we very, when I was sitting next to Willie Mullins at a Peter O'Sullivan lunch and um, in 2017, and Dad and I just got talking about potentially if we did, do, if we did buy some young horses... Um, you know, putting them, you know, having them trained in Ireland, and that we looked at obviously. I mean, Willie had had fantastic success. Um, obviously, we then sent a, a handful to Gordon, and and then actually uh, the 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 way that Aputar got bought was I was having a, a cup of tea with uh, Gina Bryce at the Churchill Hotel in the West End, and and then she's obviously you know her boyfriend at the time now fiance Alex Elliott, and she knew that we were sort of in the market to. We were looking to buy some young jumps horses, and I think that there's been a deal to uh, fell down or broke uh, broken down with Alex um, by, buying up Utah for a client. So it was one of those sort of opportunistic spur in the moment things where Gina said, "Would you think you'd be interested? My 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 boyfriend's got this potential horse that he thinks is a potential, um, you know, a very a very cl a classy horse, top horse." So I ran my dad, and of course the rest is the rest is history from that cup of tea at the Churchill. Now, Richard, can I ask why Ireland? Like you said, you sat down and decided Ireland, but but why classified? Of course, was was Nicky Henderson. I think probably the best position Nicky's ever finished in the Grand National with him back in the day. So you could have gone to Nicky. Obviously, we've got champion trainers over here, Paul Nichols, etc. What what made you during that conversation say we're going to send horses that we own to a different country? Uh, yeah, very good question, Matt. I think it's a combination of you know probably. We've had many horses obviously trained in England on the flat, obviously, over a number of years. But I think, you know, my dad was always left, left field and 
effectively, I think the Irish thing, the, the, the success they'd already had at Cheltenham in the previous years, uh, between before 2018, and effectively the, the quality of someone like Willie, obviously we, we were introduced to Henry via Alex Elliott a bit later, and obviously the Aplutar um, going to him. But I think the whole sort of, probably the Willie, Mullins, the Willie Mullins factor was a key factor in the decision, but also the Irish programme, the, the prize money in Ireland. Um, these are other factors that came into play, but probably on top of that, it was just trying something new and having a change. Richard, we, we, we don't know the finances of all this. I mean, we sit here thinking that you, as a family, are probably quite well off and, and, and money isn't that important, but you've mentioned prize money there, so obviously there is some importance there. But, but going into this festival, I think you, you actually said these statistics to me, so I'm only reading out what you told me, but after three festivals, you were 46%, seven wins from 15 runners, which is, which is incredible. But we have this belief that this is going to end, that in a few years' time, once the current horses are gone, there won't be Cheverly Park runners over jumps anymore. All of us, I think, to the man and woman, have loved... A, we love your colours, because they represent class, but, A, we've loved this this coming together with the jumps game. You obviously love it. Your old man obviously loved it. The, again, the feeling out in the big wide world, his mum probably doesn't love it quite as much. <laughs> um, you know, does she hold the purse strings effectively, Richard, and she will have enough of it once these have gone? Or on the back of this, can we persuade the Thompson family to keep going a little bit? Uh, look, very good. <laughs> nice question, Matt. Look, my mum is my mum is very much the boss. There's no question. I mean, my my, my parents have obviously bought the stud in 1975, and um, she's in charge. No question. I, I like to think I'm a hopefully a, a supportive wingman. But um, uh, look, the jumps thing was my dad. I've obviously loved it. There's no question that she obviously look. She came down on. She saw Alaho win the uh, Ryan Air. She was there to receive. She was there to watch and receive the trophy after Apu Tar. I mean, the to win the Cheltenham Gold Cup, and um, it's obviously a fantastic experience for the family, for her. Obviously, you know, receiving the trophy, having that experience is just totally um, so special. Um, so I have, have to talk to her, but of course mm -hmm. she's in charge. But to look, me, me, obviously as a person, I love it. There's no question. I, I my, you know, my, my three boys love it, etc. It's a family thing. We, we've all enjoyed it. Um, but uh, dad, dad and I, was it, it was the sort of, it was, it was something that we, we watched Cheltenham for many, many years together. And of course, always just had this flirtation that, um, that, that, that we might be able to win, a, win the Gold Cup one day. But of course, as you say, the flat operation, our flat operation, which is basically breeding and racing, is very much a... It's a passion, but it's also a business, whereas the jump racing obviously is more of a passion and a hobby. It's not so much of a business. We've been lucky to you know, um, win quite a lot of prize money, obviously, in the recent years and obviously last week. But, you know, it is a different, um, it's a different um, um, situation, the jump racing, as we know. So uh, I can't speak longer term, but my mum's definitely in charge, uh, right, you know, absolutely, and uh, we'll, we'll have a discussion. Yeah, is, it raises a really interesting point, Richard. You said that the, on the flat side, there is some possibility of it making some kind of commercial sense. Whereas for jumping, we're seeing people buying geldings for huge six-figure sums, most of whom have no prayer of ever making that back. But given your strike rate and given the success you've had, is it, is it possible to have some kind of reasonable relationship between what you're spending and what you can recoup? Because you must be coming pretty close to doing that, surely. Look, I think you've got to look at the, what, what we, you know, the, going back. We, we paid a lot of money for these horses. I mean, they were, we, we didn't um, shy away. I mean, Dad was in the mood to up the ante and we paid some big prices for some of these horses. Um, That's what happens when you do business with Gina, Richard. 
It's going to be expensive. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. <laughs> Very well put. No, look, I think the um, I think that the situation obviously is such that I think you can't. I mean, if you're buying Jabba's horses for twenty grand or fifty grand, uh, you know, and it's that type of thing. But we are paying. 250, 300, 400,000, and in a couple of cases, 500,000 plus. So effectively on that sort of level, we had to look at the, uh, it was basically an investment into a, uh, a hobby as such, and that we couldn't expect to receive any of the money back because of the worst is the worst, the, the, the worst comes to the worst. We, you don't make any prize money. We didn't buy, we only bought probably 20-odd horses. So um, so effectively, I don't think you can go into jump racing and, and actually, uh, you know, see a return um, effectively in terms of the financial. But of course, you can't, the moments on Friday, that you know, you cannot buy those moments. And any of the big owners like a, a JP or a Gigginstan or a Rich Ritchie or anybody else, they would tell you, you know, and I, we've now experienced, you cannot buy those moments. Winning the Cheltenham Gold Cup yeah. is absolutely one of those dreams that, you know, hope, hope comes true occasionally for a, few, for a few very lucky people. You can't put a price on it. No, it is a priceless experience. Um, there are some who would say uh, Plutarch was a brilliant Gold Cup winner. We'll talk about his figures uh, uh, perhaps in, in, later on in the programme. But um, I know that Simon Rowlands thinks that Alaho's performance was a better one. Um, Alaho's uh, win in, in, in the Ryanair. Um, well, that's before we even come to Sir Gerhard. We'll just throw up um, uh, your performances during the week. Just while we've got you, Richard, let's, let's, a Plutard, first of all, I presume you do the same again next season. Is that the plan for him? Is, is, is he finished for this term? Look, I think it's, it's it's well reported that after the Gold Cup, obviously, uh, last year when he finished second, you know, Chris Richardson, myself and Henry decided that the plan should be very much uh, don't run him an injury, go to the Betfair chase and obviously then the Savills and then straight to the Gold Cup because that was the ambition was to win the Gold Cup. I mean, that was the ambition four years ago and that was the ambition when he finished second last year, that it was all about winning the Gold Cup. So, uh, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll do the same thing again. 100%. What about Alaho, though, Richard? Because he's, he's been brilliant in two Ryanairs. He's posted arguably the best performances in two festivals running. But somehow, I don't know, maybe the Ryanair doesn't have quite the cachet of the, of the champion chase or the, or the Gold Cup. What about a, a King George for him? That would put a, a different crown on his head. Is that a possibility? Look, I think it is a possibility. Um, there's no question. Obviously, we'll, you know, obviously we'll listen to Willie. Obviously, when it comes to the crunch in terms of what he believes, and we know that Willie's the master. So um, it could well be. I mean, we, we did we did discuss it for last year, end of 2021. But he he obviously had a hard race in the John Durkin in early December. So there was no way we were going to um, run him at the King, in the King George after that. It was. Uh, um, yeah, he had a hard race, but he obviously won the John Durkin. But yeah, I don't think you can rule the King George out. But I think what you're saying is the Ryanair hasn't quite got the. Um, of course, it, I, I agree it hasn't. But I mean, if he can be a double winner of the Ryanair, if he, if he can be a treble winner of the Ryanair, as you say, maybe a King George. Who knows? Um, obviously, with Alaho finished third in the Albert Bartlett in the um, in 2019, the view was that he could be a Gold Cup horse. And of course, there was still a view, uh, you know, about that when he was finished. When he finished, you know, just uh, you know, narrowly beaten third in the RSA um, in, in 2020. So, you know, but I think the Ryanair, look at look at it. He's so dominant, and to have a have a champion middle distance, you know, sort of chaser like him is is still, you know, a great feeling. And and Richard, I spoke to someone like a wingman of Willie Mullins, basically, so someone quite high up in the stable, who said that Sir Gerhard is all speed that 
you went that route this week, but but they were basically saying two miles for Zagerhard. That that will be his trip long term, which was which I found interesting. You might, of course, disagree. It's a game of opinions. Um, are we going to see him as a champion hurdle prospect, or are we going to see him as an Arkle prospect next season? Do you think? What's your gut feeling? Um, my gut feeling at the moment probably is I, I just get the feeling again from 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 Willie that it may be a more of a champion hurdle prospect. Um, personally, whether whether it's Arkell or champion hurdle, you know, I'm I'm very personally I think I'm relaxed. We're relaxed, achievely in terms of which route he went, which route he goes. Again, you've got to remember that we're just absolutely so so uh, delighted to be able to have involvement in these top horses um, to even be. As you say, going again from all our experience in the flat to even be, you know, at the top table, thinking about the champion hurdle, thinking about the Arkle, you know, winning the Gold Cup, obviously on Friday. This is just for us a, a brilliant journey. So again, Willie will give his uh, recommendation about what he thinks, and Chris will obviously have his view. You know, who, who runs a stud, and of course we'll, um, we'll we'll go from there. But either either is fine from our perspective. I've got an idea, Richard. I've just had it. It's like a flash. <laughs> when when Mum wins the one thousand guineas, sit her down that night. She's going to be on a high. Uh, sit her down that night and say, "Look, Mum, we could buy another couple of nice jumpers with the prize money from today." This is my master plan, Richard. We, I genuinely do not want to see these. I, I feel they are going to go at some point from the jumping scene. You, I don't know what you do. I don't. I imagine your mum is, look. Business ladies are tough cookies. That's how they get to the top with intelligence and being tough. Um, but sit her down and have a good word with her that night after the 1,000 guineas. That's my advice. Look, absolutely, Matt. Very good advice. And, and, and she's, watch, she's, she's watching now, so um, she'll be enjoying this. But, um, look, I think, you know, the Guineas obviously is our... It's not, it's not our bread and butter, but that's obviously a, a race that obviously we'd love to win, of course, with a homebred. Um, but winning the Gold Cup on Friday, my mum obviously received... You know, was there. She received the trophy. She saw the atmosphere. It was a fantastic experience for her. Um, she she obviously uh, gets somewhere with Willie, gets somewhere with Henry, you know. So let's see exactly. Come on, but I'll Patricia. Take, I got <laughs> she is watching. Let's say, come on, Patricia. You can do it. Look at Richard. Think of his family. Everyone's enjoying it. We love it. Come on, Patricia. Get the checkbook out. Let's have yeah, more. Come on, come on, Mum. Let's do it. Yeah, come on, Mum. <laughs> come on, Mum. <laughs> well, we started the, started the campaign here. It sounds like uh, your your mum had a great week. You obviously had that's, a great week. Let's just put the mockers on. Any chance she's just switched off. And and said, right, Richard oh, blocked. I'm in, I'm in big trouble now, Matt. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so it's, not, it's, it's not a big price, this happening. She's only three to one or something for the Guineas, isn't she, Inspire? Uh, it's been brilliant to chat to you, Richard. Well done on yep. a fantastic week. Great stuff. Thanks for fitting us in. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Matt. Great. Great stuff. Enjoyed he, that. He has done a good job, actually, for them. He, he let everyone know about the Ballymore long before Willie, to be fair, would have well, let uh, everyone know. Absolutely. He, he, he's done a good job, and he... he, he I, I, I can say this because no one really knows. But I did a thing with the England Rugby Club the week before Cheltenham. It was just just the England Rugby team, and just by chance I video called him on WhatsApp, and, and I never thought he'd answer. Got the and, scoop. And he no, well no, he did, but he went through with the England Rugby team all the, all all the horses, and they were absolutely like astonished that Cheverly Park Stub would come on the phone and talk to them, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But they really were. So he's doing a great job publicising. Yeah. Maybe they paid too much attention to uh, Cheltenham, uh, the England Rampton. Anyway, we've got to take a break. Great to hear from uh, Richard. We'll be back with you after this.
Welcome back. Welcome to Racing Debate. Myself and Mr. Matt Chapman with you. And only one topic of conversation at the Cheltenham Festival. One of the outstanding performances of the week was... Oh, well, it was the first one. Yes. We could have all gone home after the Supreme, couldn't we? Quite happy with life. We've seen a monster. We saw what we knew we were going to see as well. Buckers have been a bit flappy, hadn't he, about... Oh, the, oh there he is, look. bit flappy about the opposition and, oh, we don't know how good this is. Buckers, I'm going to give you a big cuddle. Well done. You're a hero. Yeah, thank you, Matt. That's, uh, that really has made my day. <laughs> Worth waiting for, wasn't it, Mike? Well, apologise. Um, well, we like must apologise. Like to have the real thing as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> we apologise. We're a bit late coming to you. Thanks for holding Don't on. Worry. Don't um, worry. What was the emotion, Michael, seeing him storming away in the Supreme? Was it elation? Was it relief? What, what was it? I think it was a combination of the two. I mean, I, 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 I kind of get a bit uptight before these things, and Matt's constantly... <laughs> giving me hell about the fact that I'm not more certain. But you can never be certain about how things are going to pan out. I just walked off the stands. I did say to some guy, an enthusiast, who'd wished me luck going up into the stand, I said, the object of this is BHTB. And he said, what does that mean? I said, bring, bring home the bacon. <laughs> so as I walked off, we had a BHTB moment. But I actually said, I was shaking all the way into the paddock. It was... Um, he was quite extraordinary, the horse. Absolutely amazing. He was extraordinary. It'd be a very big BLT that you could uh, uh, treat yourself to after this. Um, now that he's done it, Michael, I understand your, your trepidation before and he's got to go and do it, having been visually impressive. But now that he's done it, can you tell us what kind of regard he was being held in at home and how he was working? I'm hearing all these rumours of them having to put together tag teams to work with him and stuff like that because he, he really is a monster back home. Is that what you were hearing? Well, I think that happened once, um, <laughs> to be honest, um, right at the end, just to make sure that he was taken right to the top of the gallop, because he, I think it's fair to say he's an exceptional workhorse. Uh, everybody kept this from me, I've got to tell you, for a very, very long time. Uh, Nikki and I, as everybody's heard endlessly, have known each other for such a long time. So he hates to build anything up for me in case I get disappointed. So I didn't realise um, quite how well he'd been working uh, before the first run at Sandown. And, and Nicky also hadn't managed to get on the grass for any work or any schooling, which is his preferred surface, because that's what he's done all his life. And so why give up on something that works so well? So he thought perhaps he wasn't quite fit that day. So um, he didn't build it up too much. Um, but um, anyway, he, he, um, I, I then got really interested, obviously, as one would after seeing a horse run like that. So I asked more questions. <laughs> um, and he, um, and he worked very well at Kempton, which I think, well, was reported on by the press. PA were there, so um, he worked with a lead horse and Epitant, and he worked well there. So, um, so my emotions were, I think, honestly, relief as much as anything. Were, were um, you, Michael? Were you more tense at Sandown? Because I, I remember I was like, I was, I was basically stalking you at, at Sandown when when you won the Tolworth, and I'm, if I remember rightly, that was the meeting where Nikki had COVID, and so Nikki wasn't there, and so you watched the race on your own, and 
I, I'm lucky enough to watch quite a few people. John Gosden, for instance, just stands astride still. But when things aren't going right, his missus often pats him on the back. And you notice these things. With you, <laughs> it was like you sort of clinched from time to time. You <laughs> squeezed yourself from time to time. And then there was this sort of huge relief. Was, 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 what was the difference between the sand-down feeling where you had this sort of novice hurdler who just won a novice hurdler, essentially, although impressively, and now you're a grade one winner, going from that to to being a massively impressive supreme winner. Which, which was the more nervous of the two? Well, I was, I was a bit knackered at Sandown, to be honest. I'd flown in from America on Thursday morning and uh, hadn't slept there because the flight took off so damned early from America. <laughs> I think it was about um, five o'clock in the afternoon, so I wasn't ready to go to sleep. So I hadn't slept that night and I didn't sleep the next night. <laughs> thinking about the race and jet lag and one thing or another. So I was absolutely exhausted that day. So, but I, I know myself well enough that I have these sort of physical walkabout moments sometimes or mental that when, I, when there's something really exciting or a big race that I've been lucky enough to run in, I kind of need a bit of me time. I'm not very good at sitting and chatting to everybody all the time. I just want to kind of go off and dream about how it might go um and also you know the same thing before Cheltenham I mean if you if you spend weeks on end wondering could you possibly win by six or eight lengths how thrilling would that be and then you come out with idiotic ideas well you know if he wins impressively maybe we should go off and run in the champion hurdle at Punchestown which I shouldn't really mouth off those dreams because they that's what they are that's what they're just fits of imagination that you might get but you super dreamt lucky. it you dreamt it michael so are you going to do it i didn't dream it i said it you did <laughs> hold on you said it was a um, dream make your mind up <laughs> um, well i mean it's a dream matt you know I, I know you're a bit sort of down to earth but some of us sort of have dreams during the day <laughs> dreams have, of you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to know what i world. dream about michael um, <laughs> <laughs> but are I'm you going to go sure. i mean it's your you're the owner uh, I would imagine it was something that Nicky would advise you against, but but do you think you'll go to Punchdown, or do you think now you're going to go... I can just see you going, I don't know, Christmas, fighting fifth, Christmas hurdle, champion hurdle. I think that... I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> then after that, I don't know what's going to happen. The first thing that's going to happen is that he won't run at Aintree. It's too soon. And... So we'll see how the horse is around that time in three or four weeks' time. Um, I, I always had a misconception that, you know, when you see horses win easily, they have, they have an easy race. And, of course, it's the, the, the way they win easily is because they put so much into it. I know Sprinter Sacra always won, won pretty easily or most of the time, and yet he expended a lot of energy. And some time ago, I had a horse that won an Aintree, won the three-mile novice. Um, could beat that and he was six at the time and Barry said to me he's so immature he rides like a four-year-old even though he's six and anyway Nicky and I thought we'd go to Punchestown for the three-mile novice and uh, he said well he had a very tough race at Aintree even though it doesn't look like it and we won at, at uh, Punchestown but it was a fearsome race against uh, I can't remember the names of the horses now but one of them ran in the I don't know what, the Sun Alliance did. See, one of them was a potential Gold Cup horse. And actually, it bottomed out the horse. He was never, ever as good again. So 
I think, you know, I'm, I'm super lucky. I've got something pretty special by the look of it. And so we just don't want to abuse the horse, that's for sure. So Timeform's highest rated novice hurdler ever in the history of Timeform. Yeah, but I mean, they just, you know, they're like me, they dream occasionally. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, um, they haven't been covering the, the, the jump side for, for, well, for one, so long. The, the one, retrospective times there, I suppose. But Boise, the yeah. one thing we can say is that Timeform, nothing about their figures, <laughs> Michael, is dream work, I'm afraid. <laughs> that is simple mathematics. You're the dreamer, Timeform are the mathematicians. Well, the interesting thing is Barry um, Geraghty told me, he met the person on Friday who, can, who does a lot of this work, and um, that... The novice was much faster early on than the champion, um, and obviously went a hell of a gallop. And then, and so, I think in the um, in the first six furlongs or so of the second mile, the champion hurdle was actually faster. Um, but then, what? How he got up to that rating was the fact that his last furlong was a lot faster than Honeysuckle's. Mm. And it's kind of the way it looks, in fact. He's about 30 uh, lengths ahead of her, if, uh, um, according to Simon Rowland's time analysis. So you, you could have won the champion yeah, hurdle within this but, year, as, but, as Mr Chapman said. Yeah. But, you know, those if you'd entered, Michael, all... you could be a champion hurdle-winning owner, but you just don't listen, do you? That's the problem. You do not listen. Now you want to go to Punchdown, Nicky will say, no, you're not listening. Um, you know, you could, be the ch you could sit there right now with a champion hurdle right in front of you if you just listened to me. Listen, I, I've, I haven't in my whole life ever been shy of having a go at things. That I'll is true. That. And back in 1976, when I just started in this game, um, as a sort of somewhat over-cheeky 20-something-year-old, um, I had a, a horse that might have won the Sun Alliance Chase, as it was then called. It fell over, three out. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the winning trainer told me we would have won. And so I said to my trainer then, Peter Bailey, let's have a go at the bread in, in the days when, other than the Grand National, there were only two decent abstained mm. um, steeplechases, which were the Hennessy and the Whitbread. And he said, he's only a novice. And I said, sure, so stick him in a field. And when he comes back in October, what's he going to be then? What's the difference? So, I, I listen, I think what we'll do, I mean, this, this is a guess, and I haven't discussed this with Nicky, really. I mean, he's had other things to worry about like all his other runners last week. But I think we'll just wait and see how the horse is in three, four time. Probably enter him for the punches down in probably both races and then see how he is. But it would be a terrible shame to do something really dumb. And it's all very well saying it works out at 30 lengths difference or 20 lengths difference on the times. But races are different. They run differently. Mm. You can't take one that's run one way um, and another one in another way. I mean, we had a, a, a horse which was very, very quick out of the blocks and led the field at a, at a huge pace. So champion hurdle was a different type of race. And I can't, I, I very much doubt, well, I mean, I'm absolutely, that if we'd run in the champion hurdle, which would have been a mad, mad thing to have done really i mean very inspired by chapman but most people <laughs> wouldn't do it um with a horse that's had two runs in its life been to a race course twice in its life it's not like a flat horse that's been had a flat campaign and now gone hurdling i mean he's so inexperienced running two slowish races though he was 
quick for the ground, but soft, a race on soft ground and heavy ground to actually go to the chairman. I, I kind of said to Nikki, look, the one thing about not entering is we don't have the temptation, just in case we <laughs> That's probably no. wise. That's probably wise. And it, um, obviously, it's much easier for us to place other people's horses than, um, <laughs> than put our own money where our mouth is. Um, congratulations, on that, Michael. On that, point, on that point, I think you should definitely advise uh, Richard Thompson that uh, Sir Gerhard should go chasing. <laughs> yeah, we'll get well, him back on. <laughs> he would be—he would be a new kid on the block, of course, in the champion hurdle, Mikey. But just think—that's the beauty of the game, isn't it, Michael? Next year, we as fans can all think about Sir Gerhard, Constitution Hill, Honeysuckle coming up the Cheltenham Hill, and that would be a champion hurdle. Buckers, well done. Congratulations. Thanks for coming on today. My pleasure. Nice to see. You. You both. Thanks. Thank you very much, Michael. Michael Buckley, the uh, the, the owner of Constitution Hill. What a good man. What he's a one good of those man. people. Say, I, can, I can't bore you for five minutes, but then he's fascinating for 25 minutes. Exactly. You could spend all day with either of our guests today. Uh, but thanks to both Richard Thompson and to Michael Buckley. We're not done with Cheltenham. We'll have more chat about what we learned from those four days after the break. Welcome back to Racing Debate. Thanks to our guests, Michael Buckley and to Richard Thompson. They were both brilliant, weren't oh, they? I, brilliant. I mean, Buckers, you could just speak to all day. He's one of those guys you could imagine sitting in a bar late at night just being told stories oh, about stories. life. Stories. 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 Showbiz, like racing, all kinds of yeah, stuff. And, and, all kinds of stuff. And the Thompsons, which basically were people we never really knew with the flat horses, now we're getting to know them. That's it's great. Fantastic. That's great. Richard, Come on, Mum. Brilliant stuff. Um, we are a racing debate programme. Oh. Interest, interest, there was a whole debate, of course, Tuesday into Wednesday, and particularly on Wednesday, about the watering at Cheltenham because they put five mils on on Tuesday after racing on Tuesday, and then it rained on Wednesday. Paul Nichols was very unhappy with that, took a lot of horses out. Um, Ian Renton, who's sort of regional director, um, uh, quoted in the Racing Post today saying, uh, supporting John Pullen's decision to watering, saying, I'd do the same again. We'd all do the same again. They watered because it was drying on Tuesday. The forecast was imprecise and mm. uncertain, and they could they couldn't risk it drying further. Where did, you, where did you stand? What was your take on it? Well, I think Cheltenham are being absolutely honest here and they've got it absolutely correct. Um, usually you'd think they're just sticking together as a team. Obviously, John Bullen knew he could be in for a lot of stick on his first Cheltenham. But actually, on this occasion, I think Renton and co... But everyone knew it was going to rain the next day. No, That's no, 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 no. So I stood in, in, in a little room at Cheltenham with Mick Fitzgerald. I had my iPhone app, weather app on. It said it was going to lash... Um, when's this? Tuesday afternoon? Tuesday... Tuesday evening. lunchtime, Tuesday right, afternoon. Okay. Tuesday evening as well. It was the same all day. Okay. Tuesday evening, Tuesday afternoon, whenever. And my iPhone app said it was going to lash it down from 10am till about 8am, 8pm in the evening. All day. 100% rain. I was stood next to Mick Fitzgerald, whose app said that there was no rain hitting Cheltenham all day. And for me, that absolutely sums up the dilemma. The other thing is, Constitution Hill broke the track record in the Supreme. You do not break track records on slow ground. So the ground was clear, however good he is, clearly the ground was on the far side. And people were saying it was much nearer good than not. There was a quote here from, from in Rens' in, in, in conversation with the Racing Post saying that all the jockeys unanimously said yeah. it was getting quicker as the so, went on. So if the rain doesn't come, Horses are being pulled out the next day because it's too fast or are breaking down. The rain does come. Horses get, I think, wrongly pulled. I do not know why Brave Man's game was pulled out. Yeah. I have no idea why that happened. But he was in the parade ring and suddenly they seemed to get the heebie-jeebies. Um, but, you know, that's what they decided. That's up to them. That's fine. But 
I think Cheltenham did exactly what they had to do. It is what happens when you live in a country like this where things change dramatically. A lot of countries it doesn't change dramatically. This one it does. It was really harsh on Pullen because this will haunt him for the rest of his career. But I don't think he did anything that any other person wouldn't have done. I think, I th I think you have to play devil's advocate and say, what would have happened if you had not watered and it didn't rain? Exactly. And to be honest, it started off on Wednesday quite nice. Yeah. It was sunny at about 9 o'clock. I, I left my hotel on Wednesday at about 8.30 in the morning. It was sunny, and then it started. But, and I also watched a TV um, weather map that morning, mm. and it had a huge band of rain, I would say 20 to 25 miles east of Cheltenham, and they had no sign of rain even hitting Cheltenham, and that was 8 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. They still didn't think the rain was going to come. I, I don't think Cheltenham can be blamed for this, and it's just one of those things. Not guilty. Not, on this occasion, no. Not guilty. No. You're free to go. Uh, we, let's move on. Um, what else did we learn? We, we had a long debate you know, over the previous couple of weeks about the four-day, five-day thing. We know where you stand on that, Matt, and where many people stand. But in terms of what we learned from those four days, from a racing point of view, first of all, I yep. made the point last week, I think we're, a, we're at saturation point, which is why I don't think five days is inevitable. And I think we saw that. We saw four runners in the Turner's Novice Chase. We saw enough odds on more or less coronations to say we are kind of at too peak many. Cheltenham. There's too many odds on favourites for Cheltenham, isn't there? Too many. And... Why do you get odds on favourites? When people have too many opportunities to skip each other. Look, Galapagos... I mean, Bob Ollinger was irrelevant because he, he would have basically been well beaten in any race he ran in if, if Galapagos Deschamps hadn't fallen. But Galapagos Deschamps could have run in the Arkle, he could have run in the three-miler. He picked a race that was very easy to win. If that race didn't exist... And also, I mean, I hate to say it because it's not going to change now. I mean, if there wasn't a Ryanair... Alaho would have been in the Gold Cup and we wouldn't be having the conversation we just had. Alaho's the horse of the last couple of years, yeah. arguably. And, and, Saifel and... Morta would have won 20 Ryanairs back in the day. Okay. What he had to go in the Gold Cup. What about... And you were on course, and I know people say, well, you were in the press office and you weren't paying for yeah. food and drink and all that sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm seeing sort of rumblings of discontent of, of, of uh, two, two aspects. One is crowding and being uncomfortable. And I, I've found in recent years, that since the remodelling of Cheltenham, it's much better to, uh, in terms of getting around, but some people saying they were, because there were so many people here, 70,000 plus uh, people here, that it, that it was an issue uh, moving around and, 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 and obviously complaints about prices, uh, which is a perennial complaint on race course. What, 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 were you getting I mean, any feedback from race goers there? Genuinely, Boise, I feel I'm not in a position to answer that question because I don't have to queue for food and drink. Yeah. Um, I do get given it for free. Um, not that I had much, but I, I do. Um, I thought pints for six, seven quid probably wasn't excessive, but champagne for ridiculous prices was, um, from what I could see. Um, I've always felt with food, Sean, people don't mind paying a bit more at events if it's good food. Yeah, yeah. But what they don't want to pay is more for not very good yeah. food. And, and therefore, if you are going to chuck the prices up for these kind of events, at least make it quite decent. And for me, from what I read from most people, they wouldn't mind paying a bit more at an event. We all pay more. If you go to Ministry of Sound, you pay more for drinks. Yeah. But if, if you want it to taste good 
and that might have been the issue with some of the the, the so-called cheaper foods, which weren't cheap, tell but you, would be considered cheap. I'll tell, tell you what else was interesting in terms of crowd and atmosphere and so on. The, there was an outbreak of singing, wasn't there, before yeah. the, 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 the final race? Oh, no, don't take me home. Which you often hear at football, and we heard in the, in the World Cup and so on in, in, in particular. And that really split opinions. Some people were appalled by that, that, you know, this was kind of football ground chanting on a race course. Others said, this is just, you know, a bunch of people having a wonderful time yeah. and it was an outbreak. It wasn't Brighton Rock, it was an outbreak of singing. Where, where, where did you stand on it? I mean, I think it's very simple. I think if you are upset with that, you need to go and really have a good look at yourself. I mean, a lot of people have been stuck at home for two years. Uh, there's a horrible war going on. And this, as I said right at the start of the meeting, was a little bit of escapism for some people, just for four days. Mm. And you're going to have a pop at people for singing. I mean, you know, personally, the people who don't like the singing, I'd rather they didn't go to Cheltenham. You know, stay at home. If you're really that saddo, stuck in the mud, old school, I mean, for me, Sean, get a life. If you, if you can't enjoy people singing and having a good time at the sport they are... For me, it says more about the people who don't like it rather than the people who do. If that's me. Other people can hate it. That's fine. You ask me why. If you're opinion. not used to that, if you don't go to a lot of football matches, for example, that, that kind of thing, it might feel a bit alien. It might feel a bit intimidating. Maybe that's where some of that comes from. And there has been issues with, you know, um, poor conduct on race courses in recent years. But we're not talking about poor conduct. We're talking about singing. Yeah. We're about having a good time. Like most of us are on this planet, what? If we're lucky, between 70 and 100 years? Like... And you're saying that I can't have a sing-song and enjoy myself from time to time. I mean, give me a break. Anyone who is upset with that, they have the problem, Sean, not the people singing. Again, not guilty. Uh, we move on. Your thoughts after the break. Welcome, welcome back to Racing Debate. This part of the programme is your part of the programme. Um, I'm going to ask you to open up here, Matt, because you, you came up with this poll question, which was not what was the best performance, but who are you most looking forward to? Yeah, I think that's the great thing about the sport, yeah. Sean, looking forward. And there were four horses for me who stood out. Uh, Fasil Vegas, Sir Gerhard, Gallop into Shaman, Constitution Hill. Uh, no surprise as we reveal who has won this competition, that Constitution Hill has come out on top. I was a little surprised there was such a gulf between Gallop and Deschamps, though, because you've got kind of the most exciting young chaser and the most exciting young hurdler. Facil Vega was brilliant, but probably people just don't know enough about that horse yet as a yeah. bumper. Well, that's classic bumper territory. Those champion bumpers do work out, don't they? And I, I would agree. I, I bump... Fassal Vega up a little bit more. I put a little asterisk next, next to Gallop and Deschamps for two reasons. One is Bob Bollinger didn't turn up, so it was a one-horse race. And two, the time analysis. Look at Simon Runner's time analysis there, which suggests that, you know, maybe, I mean, visually very stunning, once again, Gallop and Deschamps, but Constitution Hill, the real deal all the way through. Gallop and Deschamps going to be your honeysuckle, or could my be. honeysuckle? Could be. Could be. You've got to have one, haven't you? You've got, You've got to, have to have one, one. yeah. Can't yep. They're not all bankers all the time. Uh, let's uh, move on. Uh, what was... Derek Fox. Ride of the week, Derek Fox aboard Corrick Rambler, out the back. There are quite a few nominations for, mm. for uh, Ride really of the Week. You're not much better than Billaway, are you? But, but well, this, that was a great, great ride by Foxy. It was, indeed. Great week for Derek Fox and for Lucinda Russell as well. Of course, Senora Hoy going close, as well as Corrick Rambler's uh, win. Um, what did I say? 
Don't worry, you watch it back. Right. Oh, it's in your... <laughs> as well. Just on that, you said uh, Patrick Mullins' bill away. Of course, I have to point out, four-day ban for Mr Mullins. He yeah. broke the rules. How can that be? How can that be? Uh, because our good rules ride? are so rubbish that someone can ride a brilliant race and be accused of breaking the what, rules. What about the poor runner-up, though? You've been chinned and literally no, chinned by somebody who broke the rules. It's, it's because the BHA have ridiculous rules and that doesn't make Patrick it right. Mullins, yes it does, what? Patrick Mullins, you deserve a medal and the BHA need to chuck their rules in the, in the ditch. They're you just... might not agree with the taxation system, but if you don't pay, you'll find yeah, yourself in trouble. You're slightly um, different here, Boise, and you agree with me. Would he so... have won without it? That's the question. And, and sometimes you can say it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It was a brilliant ride and it was brilliant horsemanship and he deserved a medal, not a four-day ban. In fact, the BHA should have paid for him to go on holiday to a beach for four days. It was that good. As it is, they gave him a ban because their rules are pants. And, well, there were, I think there were only a couple of uh, bans, and that was the only one that was one of those close driving finishes, which is where we expect... We should never be... This focused. is honestly... This actually upsets me. How can you ban a jockey who has just been brilliant? Only we could do it, isn't it? Only we could do it... We could ban a jockey for being brilliant. Why well, break the rules? What about that atmosphere question? Well, the, the experience for race goers. As I said, social media is where you find um, some some people concerned. This is um, DG at Glav, Glavin. I see some racing people on Twitter giving out about fans creating some atmosphere at Cheltenham. Please bore off. This sport needs new fans. People enjoying their Friday evening at a race course should be applauded. Let's hope it encourages attendance at local tracks. That's basically your point. People are having yeah. a good time. That is my second Twitter account. And I absolutely, <laughs> everything I put up on there, I agree with. Uh, yet <laughs> another Chapman Sock Puppet account. Let's see if the, if the other one is one of yours as well or whether it's... Um, <laughs> one of the racing people's ones. See, plenty of people have an issue with the party like... Uh, most enjoyable days ever for me. Enjoy it, lads. It only comes around once a year. Thank you, Cheltenham and Billaway. Oh, he's, he's doubled down. He's doubled down. Uh, applauding the, the, the shocking behaviour of racegoers and the shocking riding on board Billaway as well. My other account. Just sign off with a <laughs> wink. Uh, so, yeah, could be another one of... Uh, um, so have we got any more? Any more for any more? Let's see what else uh, has been happening on the, on the Twitter sphere. Don't take me home sunk in the stands before the last at the Cheltenham Festival. Is this the... T Here we go, Stuart. Is this the type of crowd you want at the pinnacle of national hunt racing? I promise you, this kind of behaviour will drive the hardcore fans racing. You say good riddance, Matt, but uh, uh, Stuart raised an interesting point. Some, peop some people say, that's not what I signed up for, it's not what I was expecting. It's funny, they never say, well, he doesn't... I mean, if you're going to write a tweet like this, write what you didn't like about it. Like, what, what's the objection? It's only 140 characters. What, so you... There's no nothing in there that says what he didn't like. Singing? Final, like singing? Final words goes to Stuart. Thanks for watching.